0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: God does things in our lives by blessing us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and he blesses us in so many different ways. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings about repentance. And and I've experienced that before in my own life when I've sinned and God's still been good to me. And I find myself saying, why? I don't know why you're so good to me,
0: God. It makes me want to be a better person. It can be hard, but we have to trust. Wherever Jesus leads us, He has a plan, a purpose, and He's doing an incredible work in us. If you're going through a wilderness or desert season right now, remember that the scriptures say the testing of our faith produces endurance. It is during those times that He makes us strong. We're in our series, Jesus Appointments, and today, we look at Jesus facing off with none other than Satan. With more on victory when we're tempted out of Matthew chapter four, here's Robert Furrow. I looked up the last time
1: that we taught Matthew chapter four, which was a few years ago now, and the title of this study was, How to Win Over Sin. And I thought about that title a little bit, and I thought, I'm not sure that I would title that that way again because I don't know well we'll win over sin when we're on the other side but really this really helps us to learn how to be effective in the struggle that we have with sin don't get me wrong it would really be nice to not sin anymore wouldn't it it would be really nice to get to a point where you no longer have a sin nature inside of you, where you no longer give in to fleshly things. I ran into someone in a restaurant last night and they said, your car's really a distinct car. I have a black charger that has like Revelation 22, 7 written on the side of it. So they go, your car's a really distinct car. We can tell when it's you. I go, okay. And they go, we were following you the other day, which scared me. Because we were up by my house and they were like, we were following you the other day. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) It's a little, that's a little weird. But then they said, we were trying to keep up with you, but we couldn't. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." and I was like, yeah, you know, I wanted to apologize. I'm sorry. I was speeding. I'm sorry. Really, the truth is, is that we all struggle with sin and we all need to continue to struggle with sin. When we sin, we confess that sin. And when we struggle, we struggle with it. And so I think that there would be a lot of better titles that we could call it. Every message that I give, I write down a dominant theme. It's just the way I prepare messages. The first thing I do is read the text a few times, and then I write down a dominant theme from the text, something I want to come back to again and again in the middle of the study. This is the dominant theme that I wrote for this. Jesus faces temptation... And becomes our champion and gives us a great example of how we can face the struggle of temptation so I think that's a lot better way to say it the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet without sin he faced every temptation that you and I have ever faced I remember the first time that I ever really contemplated that, the first time I ever really thought that through. I think about temptations that I have had, I think about temptations that people have and that Jesus faced every temptation and yet he did not sin. He faced temptation and he won for two significant reasons. First, as I said in the dominant theme, he has become our champion. He has taken our place. He has defeated sin for us on the cross. He faced the weight of temptation by facing off with the devil and he did not give in and he has become our champion so that you and I can stand fast even though we still struggle with sin, even though we still have a sin nature, we have a Savior who is our champion who stands for us. He stands in our place. He shows us the way. And he gives us an example as to how we can face the struggle of temptation and come out victorious. Again, it doesn't mean that we become perfect. He doesn't mean that we can reach sinless perfection. The Bible teaches us a couple of things about sin. It says, first of all, if anyone says that they have no sin, that they are a liar. So if there's anybody here listening to this and you feel like, I don't know if I like the way you're talking, Pastor, Uh, I haven't sinned for a long time, liar. That's not me saying it. That's what the Bible says. If you say you have no sin, then you're lying. All of us do. Everyone does. There's no one that doesn't. But also the Bible says that if we say we love him, Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. So we have a desire, even though we have that sin nature, even though there's a struggle inside of me, my flesh struggling against the Spirit and the Spirit struggling against my flesh, as Paul said in the book of Galatians, I have a desire that I want to give God purity, that I want to give God my life and I want to overcome sin. And so we have to live between worlds. We have to find our way of walking in grace and receiving the forgiveness that God gives us but also overcoming sin and finding our way to be able to give him that purity in our lives. And we all have to find that middle ground. We all have to deal with it. We are, as I said, living between worlds. We have that sin nature. Now, as Jesus gets ready to go out and meet the devil, remember he first of all met with John the Baptist. When he was baptized, the heavens opened up The Spirit of God descended like a dove and landed and remained upon him. It was a type of him being filled with the Holy Spirit, even as you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's the answer to Psalms 2, which says, Who is his Son? And God says, This is my beloved Son. And the Bible says then, in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's a lot of strange things in that sentence alone. First of all, the Spirit led him into a wilderness. You and I would like to be led into a paradise. And then I was led by the Spirit to Maui and I was there for six months, right? I was led by the Spirit into a better life, but being led by the Spirit into a wilderness. We know that God is doing things in each of our lives, and God does things in our lives by blessing us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and he blesses us in so many different ways. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings about repentance, and and I've experienced that before in my own life. When I've sinned and God's still been good to me and I find myself saying why I don't know why you're so good to me God it makes me want to be a better person when I receive the blessings of God and that's what it means when it says it's the goodness of God that brings about repentance it causes us to repent but God also takes us into wildernesses he takes us into dry places he takes us through difficult times because God's working things out in our lives he's doing a work within us he's making us a better person It's what we want. It's what we pray for. I I pray for it all the time in my own personal prayers. Lord, do a work in me. Actually, do a work in me. Instead of telling him what I think that he should do inside of me, I want him to work in me, making me into the man, the pastor, the husband, the father that I'm supposed to be. I want God to do that. And sometimes you go through wildernesses. I don't necessarily like it. But the Spirit doesn't always lead us where we want to go. So the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 1, Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. As you are tested, you learn to persevere. And that God brings trials in our lives on purpose. And so God is testing Jesus here. He brings him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And the word here for tempted is probably better translated tested, which is really what it means. He has to face this test and be able to walk away from it victorious. In verse 2 it says, And when he had fasted for forty days and nights, afterwards he was hungry. Jesus, I think that he couldn't face the devil healthy and strong because there's something about weakness that makes us more vulnerable to sin. If we were always healthy and strong and in the right mindset all of the time when we face temptation, we would probably win a lot more of our struggles with temptation if we had the right mindset and everything was good. But things aren't always good, and sometimes we're sick. And sometimes we're just sick and tired. And sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we've had enough. Sometimes we're frustrated. And then temptation can have a little more pull. Then temptation can have a little more sting. So Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, which is the limits of what a person can fast. And when he's hungry again, it means his body is beginning to eat itself. I'm told I've never gotten to the point. I've fasted quite a bit in my life. But I've never gotten to the point where I'm not hungry anymore. I guess it happens after a few days. I've gotten to the point where I've lost the really intense appetite that you have the first couple of days, but I don't know that I've gotten to the point where I'm not hungry anymore at all. But when you get hungry again, I'm told, that's when you're you're, you're beginning to eat your own body. That's when you're beginning to not be able to get the nutrition from your body uh, by living off of the fruit of the land when you're fasting. You're not able to get enough to be able to survive. So Jesus is in a weakened state. So he doesn't face the devil when he's the strongest. He faces the devil when he's the weakest. And he's done this on purpose. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He deliberately weakens himself. And so we come in verse 3 to the first temptation. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become bread. I remember the first time that I ever taught this passage. It was to my high school kids when I was a high school pastor. And I remember looking at that passage and thinking, what's wrong with making bread? If you go home and bake bread, are you in trouble? Sorry, God, I I baked bread. I, I think there's something very distinct here. He's hungry again. The bread represents something that he has a strong desire for. And now he's going to use the power that he has that has been given to him, the power that he has had since before the universe began, he's going to use that now to satisfy his fleshly desires. And I think that this temptation teaches us that we do not have to give in to fleshly desires, that we really can win when we have a strong, a strong desire of the flesh. The Bible says in John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from this world. So the lust of the flesh is from this world. The lust of the flesh could be many different things that we desire and that we would know that we can say no to that, that we don't have to have that in our lives. That's a really good thing for us to see Jesus' face here in this first temptation. And so it says uh, that he answered in verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What you and I need is not our fleshly desires met, but what you and I need is God's word. And God's word is so much more than um, years ago. Someone said of Calvary Chapel in general, not just us, but Calvary Chapel in general, that we worship the word of God, that we worship the Bible is the way they put it. They just worship the Bible there because they're always going through the Bible. It's like they've elevated it to a point where they worship it. We we don't worship the Bible, but the word of God is so much more than the Bible. Are you saying we worship the word of God? Well, kind of. Because it says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what does it mean in John one when he says that he was the word of God? When you want to know about someone, you read words, you listen to words, you hear words. When we want to, anything that I want to do, I couldn't figure out how to take a drawer out of our center island kitchen countertop. I tried for a long time. I'm popping it, I'm pushing, it's got a little plastic piece in there. I'm pushing it, I can't figure it out. So I YouTubed it. Actually, my son-in-law came over and, uh, and we YouTubed it together. We figured out there were two little rings on the side. You pull them out, then the drawer pops out. So those are still words. We watched YouTube and we listened to a guy say words to explain to us how to do it. You can find out, by the way, how to fix anything on YouTube. I did my own work on my hot water heater because I YouTubed it first. I didn't kill myself doing my own work on my hot water heater because I YouTubed it first. So the Word of God, Jesus, describes God to us. If you want to know what God is like, you find out in the scriptures that are inspired by God, but you also find out by the word of God who is Jesus. And so when he says man doesn't live by bread alone, we don't live by having our desires met alone. Somehow we get into this concept or this idea that we have those desires, we meet those desires, and we think that that's what we're living for. We think that that's what we have to do when the truth is we could say no to those things and turn to God's word because this is what gives us life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. One translation says, lacking in nothing. There's nothing that you and I lack because of the word of God. So the way that Jesus overcame this desire of the flesh was to say, having the desires of my flesh met is not what life is about, but it's about living on everything that comes from the word of God. I think of uh, the passage that tells us in Corinthians that the weapons of God are mighty for pulling down strongholds, that we gain a stronghold in our life. Something has gained a stronghold in our life. You don't need to give in to that stronghold just because you've struggled with it for years. You don't need to stop struggling against it. You can struggle against it and you can have victory in your life by the weapons of God, taking your thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, asking God to change you when it comes to your thoughts and your desires and the way you see things and the way you think of things. There may still be a struggle that is there, but we can overcome the lust of the flesh. Again, 2 John 2, 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from this world. And we want those things that come to us from the Father. Jesus used the Word of God to overcome these temptations. And that makes me think of Eve. I I think of Eve being tempted. Jesus was not the only one that had a meeting with the devil. Eve had a meeting with the devil. And the devil starts off by questioning something about Jesus. He says to him, if you are the Son of God, question mark, then turn this rock into bread Then prove it. And he does the same thing with Eve. He says, has God said you can't eat of any of the trees in this garden? There's a garden full of trees. Trees full of gardens. There's a garden full of trees. And they could eat from any one of them except one. And so when Satan comes and says, has God said you can't eat from any of these? Do you see the attack on God? Is God keeping things from you? Does he not let you eat from any of these trees that are in the garden? And she said, well, we can eat of the trees of the garden, but of the tree in the middle of the garden, we can't eat. And she left something out. Jesus talks about God's word overcoming temptation. And she says, we can eat of the trees in the garden. But do you remember what God told Adam when he said that? You can freely eat of the trees of the garden. She made God's word less gracious as if she was entitled It's maybe the reason that we need to be thankful for things in our lives, knowing that we have been given things and God has done so much for us and we are not entitled to anything. We can freely eat of all that God has given, except the tree in the middle of it. And then she said, and if we eat of it, we might die. Which is not what God said. God said, if you eat of it, you will die. So she changed God's word. Not only did she make God's Word less gracious, but she changed God's Word. And I think when we give in to temptation, when something becomes a stronghold in our life, it's because we haven't strictly adhered to what God said. We've made little changes to God's Word. We've accepted things a little bit differently, and we're not receiving it the way that God has actually said it. Let's move on to the second temptation. So the second temptation, the devil took him to the holy city and set him upon the pinnacle of the temple. So there's this temple mount, this wall that's built around the temple. And then there's the temple, and there was the pinnacle that was near the, I guess it would be what is the west side of the, well, anyway, I won't worry about directions. There's a high point in the temple wall that has about a 300-foot drop. And he takes him to that very high spot. So now this is supernaturally. The enemy is taking Jesus. He's actually working supernaturally. And he says, if you are the son of God, again, a question. Have you identified that Satan tempts us by questioning certain things? Has Satan questioned the goodness of God in your life? Has he he questioned you about certain things that have made you respond another way? The attack on Jesus and the attack on Eve were both on their minds And so is he, is he getting you to think a different way about God or questioning the goodness of God or maybe questioning who you are? Because that's what he's doing with Jesus. He said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Go ahead, jump off of this pinnacle on the temple. And then he quotes scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is the temptation of the pride of life. He's up on this pinnacle, and he's being tempted by the enemy. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he hears a passage that says that the Messiah, which he is, is going to be held up lest he dashes his foot against a stone. So Jesus could literally just fall off of that and not have any consequences. And I think that it's speaking to us that sometimes we think we can do whatever we want to do, and there will be no consequences Or we can sin any way we want to sin and there will be no consequences. But Jesus' response tells us differently. Jesus says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That is, hey, yes, the the Messiah, as the Messiah, I would be held up, but I'm not going to tempt God. Let me give you a very simple illustration of this. I believe that my life cannot be finished until God's done with me. I believe that I have an appointment. I don't know when that appointment is. God gives us all a certain amount of time here on this earth, and I believe I have an appointment. And um, for me, I have a—you know—I want to live. I want to live a little longer, but I don't know when I want to live really, really long. All right. So somewhere in between those, I'm fine with God taking me whenever He takes me. But if I believe that and I say, "So you know what I'm going to do?" Because I know that I can't go until it's the appointed time. I'm going to step in front of a train last minute. Just train's coming. I'm just going to step in front of that train. God's going to do something. He's going to make sure the train don't hit me or I'm going to bounce off of it and I'm not going to die. And God says to me, huh, that was your appointed time. Huh, you made it. This is, this is your appointment. You made it. See, we not only tempt God with our lives, but we could tempt God with certain sins. Sins that God has given you warnings about. Sins that you have done. Sins that you might be doing. Sins that you might be contemplating doing that are severe sins. God had said to one of the churches, to Thyatira, I guess it was, I will cast her, Jezebel, he was talking about, to this church. It was a church he was writing to. He says, I will cast her on a sickbed and her children with her. And I brought up in that study that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Corinthians are mistaking communion. Some of them are getting there earlier and there's food there and there's wine there. And they're eating all the food. They're being gluttons and and eating all the food and not leaving any for the rest of the church. And they're drinking and getting drunk. And Paul said, for this reason, some of you are sick and some of you are, are dead. Some of you have died. He's used the word sleep because when a Christian dies, he falls asleep. It wasn't that as his child that they couldn't die. They had tempted God and they had done this sin and God was disciplining them. The Bible says, whom God loves, he disciplines. And the disciplining of the Lord is not pleasant, but it is grievous. And sometimes we mistake the silence of God, the room that God gives us to repent. Sometimes we mistake that for God's approval. And it's a dangerous thing to do. I don't want to speak for God. I'm very careful not to speak for God. But I really want us to contemplate and consider Is there anything that we're doing in our lives that God might say, if you don't stop, I need to step in. You're tempting me now. And you don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't test the Lord your God. Because again, if we say we love Him, we want to keep His commandments.
0: Pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.